Are you an independent creator whose Kickstarter or self-published comic could use a fresh set of eyes? Are you a comics blogger who self-edits and maybe doesn't have time to catch every last typo or missing word in their long-form piece about the importance of lettering or subtextual themes in X-Men? Fun fact, in addition to running comics up-and-comingest news site, uh, WMQ Comics editor-publisher Dan Grote has more than a decade's worth of experience as a professional editor and wants to bring his skills to your next comics or comics-adjacent project. Whether you're writing a script, in the lettering phase, or running your own blog, WMQ&E Editing Services can provide you the copy editing, proofreading, and advice you need to make your next project a success. In the process, you contribute to the success of WMQ Comics by allowing us to provide a service that can help us expand our site. Let's face it, everyone needs an editor. Let us help you get closer to perfection. For more information and rates, email danpgrote at gmail.com. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're talking about Kyle Starks, writer of the upcoming Assassination, due out March 13th from Image Comics with uh, artist Erica Henderson, a book about the former world's greatest hitman hiring 20 of the world's best assassins to protect him. Uh, we talk about that book, we talk about his other comics like Rock Candy Mountain, Mars Attacks, and Rick and Morty. We talk a lot about Rick and Morty, actually. Uh, we also talk a lot about Housebreaking Puppies, board games, action movies, and NBA Jam, the newer version, not the original version. Uh, it's another fun one, so uh, buckle in. Meanwhile, we got a lot to talk about over at WMQComics.com. Uh, we're experimenting with scheduling a little bit. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you may notice the show went up a little later than usual this week. Going forward, we're experimenting with putting the podcast up on Tuesdays for the simple fact that it allows me to record and edit all in one night, and there are already a ton of great comics podcasts that go up on Mondays, and we want to make sure we're not getting lost in the shuffle. Uh, P.S. Did you know you can leave us a rating or a review on iTunes? I don't think we ever mentioned it before, but you can totes do that. Uh, in the meantime, content-wise, come check out the site uh, as we make our way through the May solicits and pick some of our favorite upcoming books. Uh, we've also got a piece up uh, memorializing the beloved Beatlist X character who died in Uncanny X-Men number 12. And uh, we should have reviews going up this week of Valiant's Forgotten Queen number 1 uh, by Joshua Burmont and Marvel's Age of X-Men The Extremists number 1 by Charlie Davis. So lots for your eyeballs over at WNQComics.com. But in the meantime, here are me and Matt. And Kyle. Yeah, so the day we're recording this, you uh, you got some good news. Uh, Paramount apparently is adapting uh, your, your Oni graphic novel, Kill Them All. So uh, first of all, congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, it's, uh, it's old news to me. They just finally got around <laughs> to announcing it. Uh, so I'm, I'm super stoked that it's finally out there because I've been sitting on it for a while. Uh, I think we actually signed the option like in October or November. Oh wow, that, that's a that's yeah. a long time to keep it under wraps. Yeah, it's super thrilling for me. <laughs> is is this your first time having one of your your projects adapted? No, this is uh this is actually my third. Everything everything creator owned I've done has been adapted has been optioned. Okay. Uh, Sex Castle was optioned by the Workaholics and the Russo Brothers before it came out with Image. Um, this book, Kill Them All. Actually, we were talking to someone when I was doing it as a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're hesitant to option it when it didn't have a publisher. So we published it with Oni uh, two years ago. I don't even know. Two years ago? It feels like a million years ago, but I don't think it's quite that long. Uh, but that, didn't, that never happened. So Paramount came through. It's been a talk for a while. Nothing happens overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish it like, – I, I should just play along. That's what I should do. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like it's nothing – there's nothing like this. Like when it happened uh, – it was super exciting, but 
you can't say anything until you sign a contract. Lawyers take Hollywood lawyers take like six months to get anything done. Um, uh, but I got paid nicely for it, and hopefully, uh, you know, this one happens. Uh, and uh, Rocky Indy Mountain, I I optioned to like a really small British production company because they were really enthusiastic about it. That option's about to end, so I suspect nothing's happening there. Uh. Um, we're gonna keep looking. Hopefully, one of these days we'll get on the big screen. Ooh wee. <laughs> Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, I actually, before this news came out, I, I had originally kind of wanted to break the ice by talking about one of your older projects, The uh, the Legend of Ricky Thunder, the webcomic about uh, the wrestling champ who doesn't know it's not real and then has to fight aliens to uh, save the Earth from uh, impregnation and destruction. <laughs> He's the literal world champion. He just didn't know it. Yeah. yeah uh, that was my first thing. It started all of this. That's awesome. Um, I, I bring it up because Ricky and I share the commonality of dachshund ownership. Uh, although while Ricky's dog can do a backflip, my mine uh, the older one can bark at the slightest sound of movement outside, and the younger one can stare at you blankly with her tongue hanging halfway out of her mouth. That's that's her trick. <laughs> Those are both special canine abilities, though. So. <laughs> um, Although they both both have murdered small animals in our yard, but neither here nor there. <laughs> um, are you are you a a dog man yourself? Yeah, my um my uh my oldest dog just passed away this this month. Oh, actually, sorry. January. Oh no, it's uh yeah. Uh, so we replaced them with two new puppies. That's what we. So we went from having two dogs um, to having three dogs. If you ever have the opportunity <laughs> to get uh, a brother sister puppy combo. Don't. <laughs> it seems like a good idea, and I think are they, are they actually years, brother sister? Are they from the same litter? Or? Yeah, they're from the same. We we were gonna foster them. I mean, we like I've always said we had the one dog we've had for fourteen years. Mm-hmm. She was fourteen, so it was you know she it wasn't a surprise so much, but it was, it was sudden. Is that you know we're like we're, we're we're not one dog people, and that dog was so good we had to get two dogs. But we just went to go. I think my wife was just like we need to foster something because it's too quiet. And we immediately saw these two little dudes and their brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And when the time came, it's like, well, we can't break these guys up. We kind of like them both too much for different reasons. But man, all they do is just pee everywhere and run around like it's wild. I, I haven't, my kids are eight and 10 uh-huh. and I've happily not had babies or young children or something that couldn't control it, poo-poo and pee-pee. <laughs> and so it's awful. Like I hate it. But they're very cute and they're very sweet. So. But two at the same time, don't, it's bad. It's a terrible idea. Like when you get them spayed and neutered, you're supposed to keep them calm for two weeks. All they do is fight with each other. Like all they do is zoomies and it's, come on. It's a terrible idea, but it's, it's going to be great in the end. But right now it's terrible. Were they both, did they both, when they got fixed, did they both have the cones on and were fighting they, with each other? They, they didn't. If they did, I would have been like Twitch streaming it. That would have been like my, <laughs> my break into uh, streaming. Uh, but yeah, it's funny that you asked because it, uh, there's like, I did, I'm doing this new book. I don't want to segue away from this, but I have no, my next ahead. book, which is called, it's called Assassination. It's coming out March 10th from Skybound. Yeah. And it has, it has 22 hitmen, including two of the world's former greatest hitmen, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of the thing is, is if you look through my, I have a tendency to have, quote unquote, the world's former greatest hit person in all of my books. It's a problem. <laughs> if, I, if I don't have, I found like the, so someone pointed out, also to me, if I don't have the world's former greatest hit person, I have a dog. So uh, 
I ended up called Dead of Winter that has a dog Which in it. I was going to ask about when you <laughs> said your dog person. I was like, so you chose Sparky, huh? Yeah, well, that, I'll get to that, too. Uh, and Mars Attacks has a dog in it named Butthead. Um, and I was tell- you know what it was? I was telling Chris Schweitzer. Chris Schweitzer is the artist of Mars Attacks. And I was telling him about this other pitch I had, which was about the world's former greatest hitman. But I was like, you know what? That pitch had a dog in it, too. So I have, like, a real... He's like, I, I, there's something about you know the relationship between a person and a dog that's that's really interesting to me, and there's something really interesting about a dog's inner life. Um, but yeah, I did Sparky, the Dead of Winter was funny because it's a it's a based on a board game, and I just did Rick and Morty, and Oni brought me out to Gen Con, which is kind of like the San Diego Comic Con of board games in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, do you have any interest in doing a zombie book? Like, there's this zombie board game. And I was like, not, I mean, everyone has a zombie, like, everyone has a zombie story, but it's like, I'm not really, like, stoked about, I'm like, I don't really want to, nah. And, and uh, the editor, Charlie Chu, goes, well, you can play a dog in the game. And I'm like, hold the, fu- hold the fucking phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I am a, I'm a board game, a board game person. And oh, yeah. Dead of Winter is my favorite zombie board game of the numerous that I have played with my group. And every t- I own a copy, and every time I play Dead of Winter, somebody wants to play the dog. Yeah, every but you know time. What? You can't pick your team. You have to do it randomly. That's the struggle of Dead of Winter. You have yep. to hope for Sparky. Yep. And, and it, it, he, when he comes out, everyone is so excited. Yeah, because he's the best. His, uh, his crossroads card is amazing uh, because he gets a shotgun. Like, he gets a shot. Like, he gets a, like, a, he, like his, um, like, the SFX guy on the TV show, because Sparky's a TV stunt dog. Uh, in the comic, he's just like Lassie or Renton Ten, but his his like his the FX guy builds him like a vest so that he can shoot shotguns. Anyway, it's pretty great. It's, you know, the thing is like I is that I I was when I went to that show, I was like, oh, board games. It's just like it's a degree of geekery that I can't find myself. Like it's just I don't I can't wrap my head around it. But the thing is, I played literally the first game I played. They're like, play a game with uh, Brian Hurt, who did the covers. Actually, oddly enough, mm-hmm. like hey, play Dead of Winter two. And I played it, and I'm like, what is going on with board games? Like, what's all these? It's, they're completely different. I'm 41. So it's like, like they're, they're different. Like, they're not what I thought. And I became, it became a real problem. Like, I went, I went down that, like, I'm, on, I'm on, on board for almost any board game. I, I, uh, and I, like, no hyperbole. I love Dead of Winter. I played it more than anything else, and not because I had to. Um, Dead of Winter and Betrayal uh, House on the Haunted Hill are, like, my two favorites. Because you can always just roll. Like, they're easy to teach, and you can roll, and they have no narrative except for the narrative you apply to it. And to me, that's as exciting as moving characters around a board and making decisions. Uh, that's a real segue there. Sorry. No, that's okay. No, I mean, you're, you're ta- as I said, you're talking to someone who's been playing this June. My wife and I will have had the same RPG board game group for 10 years. Holy smokes. Yeah. I, I, I had the same uh, fancy basketball league for, like uh, – on, let me think, 98 to last year. So, like, what, almost 20 years. Wow. So keeping anything, anything like, longer than, like, five or six years is such a massive achievement to double that is unbelievable. Yeah. No, we, we, uh, we often play – when my wife isn't there, we'll play Dead of Winter or Last Night on Earth because my wife is not big on zombies. Uh, when we're all together, we often play Talisman, which is basically fantasy monopoly. It is – long and drawn out but there's one space where if you land on the space you roll a die and you can be turned into a toad for three turns and lose all your stuff 
and we just when someone lands in that spot, we all just get to, we all just start chanting toad, 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 because we're terrible to each other, and that's, <laughs> that's part <great>. of fun. <laughs> that absolutely is. Yeah, I, the, the board game thing I went down uh, real bad. I spent the next year I went to Gen Con. I spent a lot of money, like a, a lot of money. <laughs> and then that was not this year, the year before. And I got home and realized I don't have any real life friends. Like this was the dumb, <laughs> this is the worst investment. <laughs> so I can actually like, I'm in my basement right now and I can look over and see like my huge stack of board games. Probably like a third of them have never been played. Well, you know, you come out to PAX Unplugged in Philly, the big board game. I'm gonna, this I'm gonna, I think I'm going to be there this year. I was supposed to be there last year, but I just did a show in Philly for Read Pop. And it really, it took a lot out of me. Um, Philly's such a big city. Uh, It's just, stuff like that exhausts me, so. Yeah, well, you come out, I live within spitting distance. Like, you can see Philadelphia from my house. I will happily play board games. (laughs) Yeah, see, that's the thing. At Gen Con, we play a lot of games. And then it's like I come home, and it's like, oh, yeah. Have you tried to get the kids into any of your your, uh, Gen Con booty? Uh, Man, they they dumb. Uh. They don't have what it takes. We I got Fireball Island though. I like, this seems like a weird segue. No. I got Fireball Island and like that's a good one for kids. Uh, I got um, uh, Plaid Hat did Dead of Winter. I'm a big Plaid Hat fan, and they did a book called oh, it's called Stuff Fables. I found it. It's called Stuff Fables, and it's it's like Mice and Mystics, where it's supposed to be like a walkthrough sort of RPG, but each page has like a board you move around, and this one you play like imaginary like stuffed animals and stuff that you're trying to protect a child. So my plan is this summer is to try to do that. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I really like the horror games too. I don't know. Like I got last, I got last Friday and I've never played that. I've got, it's almost all horror games that I get really excited about. Board games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you you mentioned already. Actually, the very next topic I was going to get to. Uh, you're here. You were. You're here primarily because uh, you've got a new series coming out from Image. You got Assassination with Erica Henderson from uh, some Squirrel Girl. Uh, yeah. Just for the listeners, real quick, I'll read the pitch for it. Uh, the world's former greatest hitman has a hit out on him, so he hires 20 best assassins in the world to be his bodyguards. Uh, these mean as hell hired guns and murderers will have to work together to keep the new crime boss safe. Figure out who's trying to off him and also survive. Um, First of all, I love this pitch. Uh, I love that you're working with Erica on this series. It just feels like a perfect alignment of, of sensibilities. Uh, you know, curious, did you guys develop this concept together? Was this an idea that you had and sought Erica out for? Uh, so uh, the first show I did was Heroes Con in Charlotte <laughs> in like 2000. It's so hard to keep track of time. It's a flat uh, circle. <laughs> I know. I need to like work out a calendar. Just a bit. the first, it wasn't that long ago, but also like long enough. I can't. Two thousand. What are we? Nineteen? Two thousand fourteen? Something like that. Okay. And all I had was Ricky Thunder, and I split a table, and I sat next to Erica. Erica only had like a portfolio of prints she was selling. Um, but I met Erica at the first show I did, and we became fast friends after that. I had Sex Castle come out basically the same time Squirrel Girl came out. Mm-hmm. We were both nominated for Eisner's our first year of doing professional comics. So we went to the Eisner's together. We did not win. She won two the next year. Uh, I'm sure she'll continue to win them every year. Uh, I have not won one yet. Uh, but we've been really good friends for a long time. You know, the, We did uh, SPX that year, too. We split, we split a table, which it's so funny because, you know, she has... Four nominations, two Eisner wins. She was working on one of the most popular books in Marvel. 
Uh, she works on Jughead. I've had, you know, two books option. I'm doing okay. I'm working on Rick and Morty now. Like, we split a table. We had to share a table at a show. Um, but she was selling, like, she had this great, like, um, eight, like, this zine, but it was, like, um, every page was, like, a, a different art piece based on an 80s action movie. Awesome. So we've always, like, we, we connected on... Uh, on 80s action and just having similar aesthetics and we always wanted to work together but when you're doing Squirrel Girl there's and she was doing Squirrel Girl then she was doing Squirrel Girl and Jughead then she was doing Squirrel Girl and the um, the uh, the OGN the, the 90 page Squirrel Girl yeah. she was doing those all yep. simultaneously and she colored Jughead so she was doing like an intense amount of work all the time and he's like oh I'd love to work with Erica I'd love to work with Erica uh, Erica always said she wanted to work with me, which apparently was true. Um, but the opportunity never arose. At one point, we sort of tried to talk out of thing. Um, but she, you know, she has other obligations. Um, we were actually at New York Comic Con two years ago, and I was like, "Oh, I have an idea. It's super. It's super basic." And I was like, "Erica, I have this idea that has a bunch of assassins in it, trying to kill. Like, there's an assassin who has a hit on him, and he hires assassins to be his bodyguard." And she's like, "Yeah, I'll do that." <laughs> and Skybound was there, and John Moisen, who used to be an assistant on Squirrel Girls with Skybound now, and I was like, hey, Erica said she'd do this book. Do you guys want to do this book? And they were like, yeah. Uh, and so there you have it. Then we made a book together. It was great. <laughs> She's doing great. It's so good. That is awesome. So I, you know, Skybound right now is home to, I think, my favorite image series. Um, I don't know if you've Murder read it. Da- Murder Falcon. Yup. I, I said it. You would, <laughs> so I'm doing, I'm doing Emerald City Comic Con and. Uh-huh a month like less than a month mm-hmm. and uh it was kind of uh it was all of a sudden i'm like oh they, they actually comped me a table and didn't in error so i'm like well i'm gonna go uh because i wasn't you're supposed to it, the comping is weird with repop that's neither here nor there so i'm like oh i'm yeah. gonna go so i'm like hey skybound you know this is the week the book comes out me and erica are now both going to be there and I'm like awesome you know we'll do a big signing and we'll get you some posters and we'll have this and that and one guy's like hey do you want to do a live draw panel uh and I, you know here's the thing uh, you know, I've drawn, I do draw, but in general, people are not seeking me out to draw. Like, that's not the talent. That's not my skill set that is actually desired by the comic publishers. They want me to write things for better artists to draw. But, you know, I was like, you know, like, I just want to promote the thing. It's there to have fun. And they go, like, oh, well, here's the list who's on it. Daniel Warren Johnson. I was like, well, no, I don't want to do that. Like, Daniel Warren Johnson is the best working artist in comics right now. And I don't want to do a live draw panel with them. I don't have what it takes. And they said, Erica, what about you? And Erica's like, I also don't have what it takes. Long story short, I'm doing a live draw panel with Darren Ward Johnson. <laughs> and I'm terrified of it. And there's two other, like, super tight. Like, I don't know the other two. I looked at their image artists. But it's like, I think Daniel Warren Johnson is the best working artist right now. And I don't think I would ruffle any feathers by saying that. I think, like, that being said, I've had, like, my two best drawn books. I think Erica's unbelievable. But it's like, all you have to do is see, like, three Daniel Warren Johnson commissions on Twitter. And they're fucking amazing. They're above and beyond what anyone else would do. Uh, he has a Daredevil commission out there that's just unbelievable to me. Ooh. Uh, it's like it's like anyone else would be like, Here's, can you do a Daredevil commission? It's like, yeah, here he is. He's got his – I'll do a little extra for you. He's holding his baton, right? <laughs> Daniel Ward Johnson is like – there's a SWAT team chasing him up a flight of stairs, and he's doing like a backflip, and she's Louise, bud. She is Louise. So, yeah. yeah Skybound's I'm, – I'm excited with Skybound. Because uh, I feel like, as far as what I've read, they haven't really put out a bad book yet. Um, so it's exciting. It's exciting to see what's going to happen. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, in in terms of, of the individual assassins, because you have so many of them, you know, do all of them have sort of like a detailed character bible going into the series? You know, um, obviously, I don't want to give away plot points or anything like that, but, uh, you know, do you guys know everything there is to know about these characters? I know. I do. I know everything. I, uh, I'm kind of probably not the best collaborator. Uh, we did an interview and one of the questions that came up is like, Oh, how much give and take? And it's like, I don't know. Like I'm kind of type a and, uh, Erica designed everything. Um, Erica, her ability to visualize things is so much stronger than mine. Like it's astounding. Um, and Erica's character design adds things to characters that wasn't there before. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, I made a list of 20 funny names to start. (laughs) And then, and then you sort of figure out who's who and who's what. And then Erica started drawing them, which adds new things. Uh, I can think of. I can think of things that are in later issues where it's like, well, that's Erica's, like that's Erica's contribution. That's Erica's contribution. But for issue one, I kind of, you know, I kind of ran away with it probably harder than I should have. Uh, but yeah, I just I did a bunch of interviews. Uh, Sky about an image asked me to do a bunch of interviews for different pod for different pod not podcasts sorry for different websites mm-hmm. where it was like the characters being interviewed. Uh, so yeah, man, they're all, I mean, they're all pretty furly. There's probably like two or three that you'd be like, could you, could you give me like a, a 20 page story with David Bowie knife? <laughs> I might have problems with, I mean, there's some that, there's some that are clearly jokes, I think. So we, we like to talk about David Bowie on this podcast. So that, that fits very nicely. <laughs> probably the second time this month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why hasn't someone used David Bowie knife before me? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been sitting out there just waiting for me to pluck. Uh, um, what was kind of your guys' required viewing for for making this book? You know, if if you had like a Spotify playlist of eighties and nineties oh, action God. movies or something like that to put you in the right frame of reference, you know, like what's some of the stuff that would be on it? Oh, uh, you're putting me in such a spot. I love I, I I love action movies so much. I can't think of a. Like I'm, I could be like, that's a bad one. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, you know, like when I did Sex Castle. Mm-hmm. I had like, I was like, here's a whole list. Like, here's a bunch of good '80s '80s movies that people don't really. Uh, and I'm literally like Blind Fury by Rutger Hauer with Rutger Hauer. And it's like you guys should watch. Like, here's a bunch of good '80s. Um, there's one with uh, Burt Reynolds. It's like Burt Reynolds Roadhouse. Because I'm on the spot. I can't. I can't remember anything about anything. It's a real shortcoming of mine. So I had like a look, like, oh, here's the thing. Like, here's the, here's the 80s. But you know, like, especially for me and Erica, like, we, we, were, raised, we were raised watching these terrible movies. Mm-hmm. And the good ones, the few good ones, too, right? I would say, like, so Sex Castle was sort of my love letter to 80s action movies. And Kill Them All, which Natch just optioned by Paramount, no big deal. Um, <laughs> um, was I, so after I did Sex Castle, I really sort of became, I was like, uh, there's other like I sh- there's I've watched basically all of the ones that aren't just super bad, mm-hmm. um, you know like the all the direct to video action movies and mo- you know honestly like a bunch of those too, um, but I was like oh I should start watching I should start watching like Asian action cinema, uh, but I got distracted and just started watching old John Woo movies because they had recently um, they had recently it used to be Criterion owned, see look I'm blanking on fucking everything, what's the uh, not uh, 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 Killers. 
Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So Criterion owned Killers for a long time, so you couldn't find it legally. And sort of the time I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to watch more. I want to research more, which is like a fucking trick. That's a trick to make my watch my wife watch movies she doesn't want to watch. Um, <laughs> but they they re-released Killers, so I watched Killers, and then I watched uh, Hard Boiled, and then I, you know, I went down through like all the sort of the early John Woo works, and it was the same as when I did Sex Castles that I, I I'd watched Roadhouse for the millionth time, and I was like, there should be more things like Roadhouse. And for Sex Castle, it pivoted into, well, I just want to make the best 80s action movie never made. Watching those John Woo movies, as sort of my intention was like, I need to watch other countries' action movies. I was like, no, I just want to make a John Woo movie. I just want, like, a a problematic cop and, like, uh, a bad guy with a heart of gold teaming up to fight through a building. Like, that's what I, I just want cool action sequences. I just want 200 pages of one fight, right? But all that being said, so then I did Rocky Indy Mountain, which is, this is, I'm tangenting so hard. I started watching all the, a lot of martial arts movies, and there's a genre called wuxia, which are sort of these softly magical journey, uh, journey hero journey stories, right? Okay. And there's no American equivalent. And I was like, I want to make the American equivalent of that sort of genre that's not native to, to us. So, of course, it's Hobo's in World War II, and he's traveling from, you know, one side of the country to the other in sort of this magical place. I would say, see, this is my lead, my long lead. Assassination, <laughs> I feel like, is in many ways sort of like the, a John Wicky type thing, right? Okay. Like, it's more of a modern, sort of cleaner, like, there's there's sort of some, there's kind of an established world-building thing that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense, but you just accept it, it is. Um, but I've also, wa- I've been watching, like, a ton of North Korean action movies, and um, I'm blanking on all the names uh, because I was unprepared. Uh, and uh, uh, anything, anything that's like old boy. Um, uh, God, I can't think of the guy. I fucking love this guy, and I can't think of because I only own one. Like that's the thing is like they're so hard to find dubbed mm-hmm. and are not dubbed to find them not dubbed. And if they're not dubbed, I have to sit and watch them, which is almost impossible because I work literally all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the North Korean action movies are thrilling. In fact, the, in some small way, there's a movie called Exiled. Which is that right? Oh, guys, this is the worst part of the interview. <laughs> um, anyway, there's sort of like the, the the North Korean stuff is very it's very sleek and it's like here's a lot of characters and then something happens and I I really was buying into that sort of um, because like one of the things is like the, sort of the caveat is like there's an actual list right there's a top twenty list of who's the best killer and who's not and so you have to it's like oh and there's also if you go to different hotels there's like gang currency. Like John Wick has. Johnny Toe is that name of the director I really like. Ah. Ah. The Mission. The Mission was a huge influence. You know, you mentioned before kind of being, I guess, sought out by publishers more for writing than for drawing. Uh, But, you know, obviously you've written and drawn a ton of your own stuff. Um, You know, because you do both, when you're writing a book that you're not drawing, do you find it freeing to be able to share the creative load or... Do you, do you, is there that part of you that misses the control that comes with kind of doing both? Um, I've been, the, the people who have drawn my comics, mm-hmm. which has been um, Mark Ellerby for the most part on mm-hmm. Rick and Morty, who I think is, he's an astounding illustrator who I have, I've never given Mark notes, right? Uh, Gabo, who did Dead of Winter, I thought did a really great job. I'm, to, I'm hoping to do another book with Gabo in the next year or so. Uh, I think he has a real 
a real talent for doing certain things better than almost anybody that really didn't get to be shown in Dead of Winter. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's Chris Schweitzer, who's the three-time Eisner nominee and probably America's best secret cartoonist, and Eric Anderson, who's a two-time Eisner winner. I've been super lucky to only work with really, really professional people. Um, I've had a few... Rick and Morty is such a different beast. Like, if you're a guest artist on Rick and Morty, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, these people are all better artists than I am. So it's nice because for those instances, I can put things in the script that I am not technically, I just, I don't have the technical skill to do. Um, and also, like, it's super dope to be like, I have this great idea, or even better for like issue four. I, for Erica, I was like, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to do like this segment. And she's like, I'm going to do a two page, a two page splash, but it's going to have like 30 panels in it. And like, like, I'm not, I would never do that. Like, so on one hand, I'm type A enough that like, so the way that I write things is a lot of pacing and pacing is the only way to do pacing is with more panels. Mm-hmm. So I feel like on one hand, the people who are willing to do these projects with me, I probably give them a bit more work maybe um, because it's, I want them to be my stories. Uh, I was like, like in Rock Candy Mountain in issue one, like there's a page cause I didn't have enough room to put the fight, the full fight sequence I wanted. There's a page that has like 22 panels or 24 panels so I could get a whole fight in, and I wouldn't ever ask Mark Ellerby to do that or Rick and Morty, and I would never do it for Sparky, but I may or may not have asked Erica to do something similar more than <laughs> once. Um, so it's nice. It, the thing with Chris and Erica is the books look so great. I mean, they're the best drawn Kyle Starks books. They look amazing. It's, but I am kind of type A, like I said. Um, I, didn't give, I, I almost never have to say anything to these people, though, because they're super professional. Did I answer the question? I'm not sure if I did that. Yeah, no, I, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I did, so for the last, for all of 2018, I didn't draw a page. I only wrote for the entire year, and I hated it. Uh, I hated it so much. I'm really proud of the projects that have came, that will come out of it and have came out of it. Because, like, man, I, there's, there's nothing like having all the reins for me mm-hmm. to tell the story, because... It allows me to do things at the pace that I want to do things more than what, like I'm going to do an OGN this year. I'm not going to do. I'm I'm hoping to do two OGNs this year on top of some writing things. Um, but it's like writing's less physical work. It's less time consuming, and it feels like I feel like I should be like, well, if people want me to move away from doing all that hard work, you know, <laughs> and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be the first one, you know, Matt. Excuse me, Matt Fraction started off drawing, and Donnie Kate started off drawing, and those guys seem pretty happy. Yeah, those guys all seem pretty happy to not have to, like, (laughs) bend over a drawing board anymore. But I think it's, like, there's something about it. Like, I know, I tell my wife, it's, like, whenever the time comes, and I'm, like, ah. You know, when I write, I just, I'm sitting around and staring a lot, right? Like, it's a lot of me, or me walking, or it's just, like, looking into the distance. And it's it's, it's emotionally straining. And it gives me headaches and it's challenging to come up to, to put all the puzzle pieces together. But when I'm, when I'm writing and drawing, which I do concurrently, um, I, I don't write scripts for myself because I don't want to do the same work two or three times. Um, solving those, solving those puzzle pieces as I go and going back, like I'm allowed to work in a way I wouldn't ask someone else to do. So it goes, goes both ways. Like working with someone who's, who's a different artist, I can do things I can't do, but when it's just me, I can do things I wouldn't ask someone else to do. Um, going through 
last year, uh, you know, not not drawing like you mentioned for for a book. You know, did you still have or give yourself opportunities to kind of flex those muscles just to make sure you know you still had them for when you would need them? I mean, I should have. I should have done something. I I kept trying to come up with like. Uh, I was like, oh, for my Patreon, I'll start doing these like little drawings. But it happens for like a week. It's just you're too busy to do things like that. Um, I still do sketch. Like I did Rick and Morty sketch covers all year. And I did a couple of Rick and Morty covers. Um, but when I started, when I knew I was coming back in, I'm actually doing a book that I started before Kill Them All. I'd drawn 78 pages of a comic uh, before, before Kill Them All. And I was just like, it's too weird. It's too weird of a, of a story to try to put out as your second book, right? So I was like, oh, you know, the, like as the sort of years have passed, like, man, I really want to do that book. I really want to do that book. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. So I have sort of the advantage of, of like a good portion of the book was already sort of done that I have to then completely redraw because the sizes were wrong. Mm. And I knew I'd have to redraw it. So I was like, oh, well, I'll sort of be able to like, by sort of not tracing, but sort of redrawing panel layouts, like I'll kind of get my, my legs back underneath me. I started on January 1st. Uh, January has been really bad, so I didn't get as much work in as I'd like uh, with my dog and a bunch of other shit, you know? Sure. Um, but, like, right now, it's, what, February 12th? Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm back to I'm, – I'm not uh, – it's funny because before I did Rock Candy Mountain, Rock Candy Mountain, I was like, I have to take it very seriously because this will be the first time a lot of people see me. It's, an on, it's a monthly image book. I'll have to try very hard when I draw this book. It ruined me because before that, I was just like, get it done. Uh, and I did, like I did, uh, I did half of Kill Them All, which is, I think, uh, 200, I don't know how many pages it is, 180 pages. I think I did 70 of them in January of that year. Like, there's a point in time where I was just like, get it done. The most important thing is it's done. And now I'm like trying, I'm drawing a lot of backgrounds, you know? So I'm a little slower than I was two years ago when I was drawing full time. Uh, but I'm starting to get my legs. I'm starting to feel pretty good again, which is good because I don't know if you knew, in a month I have to draw with Daniel Ward Johnson. Oh, it's like, oh. It's, like it's like the uh, cartoonist equivalent of like Rocky on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, getting back to the kind of the the, the action movie uh, thing, you know, uh, for a second, uh, you know, a lot of your work does center on uh, traditional tough guys, you know, assassins, hobo fighters, pro wrestlers, a guy whose name is Punch Captain, uh, but is also, you know, very comedy driven. Is there something about the action genre that makes it maybe inherently hilarious? Isn't isn't the, well, yeah, I mean, that that you're, also lends itself not- to, you know, being funny. I think um, I, there's a couple I, there's a couple reasons why I keep just doing action comedies. Um, one is that I was I was raised so heavily on '80s action movies that it's a it's just a it's a language that I speak right. Sure. And I know I know I can always do an action story, and it will always sort of land all the points. But a lot of those, the majority of the very big '80s action movies are pretty fucking funny. There's a lot of like, you know, Schwarzenegger loved his fucking puns. There's a lot more jokes in those in the really good ones than what you'd think, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one. One is that I in my head, the actually like you can have both. Like they both go together. The other part is like movies that are actually quote unquote action comedies are generally not very good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's I felt like I could do that. Like I could do it in a way or you know, knock on wood, right? I mean, because comedy can be so subjective. Um but it's like, I think I can find the way that it'll be funny to me, 
Like mm-hmm. it'll be action comedy to me. Um, and that's what I want. Like I wish there was more. And I, I'm, as I'm saying, it's like I can't even think of like a good one. And I know that's, I know that's not correct. But I always think of like a like a like a what Shanghai Noon, right? Okay. Yeah. That movie should it should be like all right, right? But it's not. It's like aggressively not funny. Like. And I feel like that's most action comedy is, is it's like, oh, we should make a really funny movie that also has action in it, right? And we'll put Sylvester Stallone in it. Like, man, that's not how that works. Like, that's not, uh, that's not how that works. You gotta, you gotta, the comedy has to be natural. It has to be a natural part of, of something bigger. Otherwise you're doing it, it just doesn't work. Like, what if like any Fairly Brothers movie also had like a random fight sequence? You're like, what's this fight sequence doing here? It'd just be funny. Or just do an action movie. Uh, but I really wanted to sort of fill that void. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and part of it is, is you know, you've got some incredible one-liners, you know, across your work. And I kind of, I spent some time this morning compiling a list of them, which I'm not going to read back at you because that's a terrible thing to do. Uh, I will tell you that I think my favorite and I apologize okay. if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, it's from Rock Candy Mountain uh, when Pomona Slim uh, is off to the sides and he says he's got punch diarrhea and his face is the toilet. The, that, faces, you, are the, the faces are the toilet bowls. You, you, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I read Rock Candy Mountain in one big gulp last night, all, the entire series. I got to that line while sitting on the couch and I started laughing and my wife gives me this sort of look and I'm trying to read that through the peals of laughter and she just kind of shakes her head and smiles and goes back to playing her game. But God. but you know, there, there's there's definitely an art and a science to those kinds of lines. So I was just I was kind of wondering, you know, with those specific bits of your writing, you know, how much time you spend kind of writing and rewriting those until they hit like your sweet spot. Look, I don't I don't want to look like that guy, but I kind of if they don't work the first time, then they probably don't make it in. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I, I don't spend a lot of time. I my my whole creative process is to make the thing to put the thing in the world that I want to be in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want there to be a hobo, I want there to be a hobo kung fu movie. It's what I wanted, so I made that book and I wanted there to be, you know, uh, a a really good wrestling I'm really good. I did quotes. I wanted there to be a good <laughs> wrestling comic and my I did that in 2013. There was no wrestling comics. Um since then there've been a ton that I could point out. It was like I wanted to, like that's why like oh, let me make the thing I want. And I think you have to have a good line, but everything I do is like if it if it if it doesn't make me laugh, it doesn't go in. Um, but I love a good tough guy line. I mean, like that's the eighty the eighties action movies. If your guy didn't have a tough guy line, um, and I think so far, mm-hmm. I think so far I have like one per book that uh, I don't know if I kill them. Maybe kill them all doesn't have one though. I feel like it probably does. Uh, but everyone loved you know uh, you brought a you to a me fight from uh, Sex Castle. Um, there's a bit in Mars Attacks. Uh, which is my newest current book. I'm trying to find the exact words because why would I remember? I saw my kids like this is the thing. I was like, I don't know what I wrote. Like it's been a while. Uh, I remember the gist of it. It's like basically like if if you don't come back, my ghost will hunt you down and my ghost will kill your ghost. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna find it. I did find pictures of me and uh, my artist at Chipotle though, which feels <laughs> easier to find. Here, let me Ah, uh, what a shame. Anyway, <laughs> all of them have good lines. Um, assassination has a few. There's, I don't know, like, 
I take. I feel like dialogue's my strong suit. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like my characters. I, I don't like exposition. I like for things like that to seem natural. And I live in a world where I talk a lot, and I feel like my characters would be the same. Where that's how you establish who you are more. So I feel like it's hard to be like. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but for me, a challenge is to be like, I want to have this character define themselves completely through their actions in a comic book. That's a lot of pages. That's a lot of panels. And to have that be a silent character, uh, I mean, it's, it's just like, that's a lot of work, right? So I, I like my characters to be, uh, I, think, I think dialogue is funnier than pratfalls or side gags. And it's just always been my thing. I, it's always been... I really pride myself on dialogue and characters sort of expressing themselves through that. And I've gotten some good ones, right? Sure. Knock on, knock on <laughs> yeah. the, I keep it up. I, like, if I have a character talk, it's like either it serves, a, I either want that emotional sort of to nail that emotional bit or something that amuses me in some way. Um, certain books that I've done favor that more than, man, I, there's a good one in Dead of Winter too that I'm, uh, uh, that's just slipping my mind. I feel like I have a couple every book, but again, like the dialogue is, is to amuse me and, and to, to move the story forward. Uh, I was just, I was just thinking about my own personal action movie sweet spot. And it's actually, I, I had this thing and, and, and Matt can vouch for me on this, but like right around like 92, 93, where it was all those like LA or like California set, action movies so like i have this like golden trinity and i'm not saying they're the best but they're the ones i seem to have the fondest memories of i think it's just because they all came on hbo at the right time but it was like the original point break uh, -huh. uh the chase the charlie sheen christy swanson movie and okay uh, the one with the red with the uh, with flea in it right that's correct yeah and henry uh -huh. rollins uh, yeah yeah and um oh my god falling down the uh michael douglas movie oh, i love i love, love I think, falling down the, the, you know, in Falling Down, uh, this is such a fucking... Falling Down, the the main cop's wife, who he, like, his sort of mentally challenged, like, awkward wife, you know what I'm talking about? That he yeah. wants to retire. She, all right. That woman is the woman on the cover of Matthew Sweet's girlfriend album when she was much younger and super good looking. Uh, that's the one of the weirdest sort of uh, movie to, like, pop culture coincidences, which was years ago. When that movie came out? 93, 94? 92, 93? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I would have been, you know, 16, 15, 16, or whatever at the time. And to draw that line, be like, wow, that's the same. Because that gir the girlfriend cover is so iconic to me. Uh, and I'm not going to even try her name because I couldn't remember the name of the movies I liked earlier. Uh, <laughs> but I, two, two of those movies I adore. Point Break is, is an action movie masterpiece. Um, and also inadvertently hilarious enough times that it, it's like, it's part, that's, you have to have that. You have to be a little inadvertently hilarious. Uh, but fuck, man, Point Break's fucking delightful and incredible. Falling Down has um, uh, a, sh a, sh a bit I will steal and intend to steal, which is um, uh, Army Swordbus guy who has like the rotating wall, you know? Uh -huh. Like on the other side of the wall is like all the real stuff. <laughs> that's going to be one of my books. It's, that's like the one of the action movie tropes uh, that I haven't got. That's three good ones. I haven't seen The Chase in a long time, but I think I, my thing is like Charlie Sheen is so wooden through the whole thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's a lot of very wooden acting. But you do get to see Henry Rollins and Flea in, like, a giant monster truck, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's Flea and Kiedis in the monster truck, and then Henry Rollins is a cop. All right, okay, yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, they're in the monster yeah. truck, which is great. Yeah, that's true, though. It's, it's everybody around Charlie Sheen who's, like, insane. Yeah. 
I haven't seen that. You know what? See, now I'm compelled. I'm going to find the chase. I haven't seen it probably. I saw it on video. I know I did. I know I saw it on video. Three good ones. Yeah. Uh, Point Break, I think Point Break is underrated. And to remake that movie, come on, guys. That's, you can't do that. That, that was There's, criminal. <laughs> I made somebody watch that recently. Because, you know, Point Break was one of the last sort of classic action movies that I kind of finally got around to watching. And uh, the other one was Top Gun, which, by the way, I feel the exact opposite about. Uh, Point Break, I was like, man, why haven't I seen it? Like, it has everything I want. It has, like, awkward, awkward friendship problems, like bad, like big, 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 dumb action sequences. Uh, and it has the thing at the end. There's, like, the sort of, like, the, the, um, the emotional resolution at the end. Like, it's not a physical resolution. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things I like in my stories. Keanu Reeves, like, shooting in the air is, like, the dumbest fucking thing. Like, I just, I see it in my head where he's, like, screaming and shit. It's like, what's wrong with you, Johnny Utah? Best fucking name? (laughs) Like, that's a good fucking name, Johnny Utah. Sign me up. That's a good fucking movie. I love Point Break. Uh, Matt, I think you had some uh, some Rick and Morty questions on deck. Yes, because I'm a a big Rick and Morty fan. I've, I've been watching since the beginning of the series. And so were you a fan before you got the gig or was it something that you kind of got offered and you're like, huh, and you devoured it after the fact? Sure. Uh, I love community. I'm a big Dan Harmon fan. Mm-hmm. When the Chevy Chase season happened and he went and did Rick and Morty, I remember seeing the Adult Swim advertisement for it and going, man, that looks terrible. So <laughs> that being said, uh, after season one, Adult Swim put season one of Rick and Morty up on their site. And I was like, I like Dan Harmon. I'm going to give it a shot. And I smoked cigarettes. And um, I do not smoke anymore. I haven't for a long time. But I smoked then. So I went out on my deck. like, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. And I watched like the first episode while I smoke a cigarette. I watched all of them. And I smoked like a whole pack of cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I never should have doubted Dan Harmon because community is so fucking good. I love I loved Rick and Morty. Um, about that same time, I did Rose City in Portland, and Oni asked me if I'd be interested in doing an issue of Invader Zim. And I said, I've never, I'm 41 years old, I've never seen Invader Zim. Uh, I was in college when that show came out, and I was high. So, uh, and I wasn't watching cartoons, I was out in the world. And they're like, oh, that's what we want. You know, we want someone who's not really familiar with the show. Well, it turns out that's not what they wanted. So, uh, I did one issue, and I was like, that's unfortunate. And I was looking at their catalog, and it's like, shit, they have Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty would have been, like, on issue seven or eight at the time. And I was like, man, I wish they would have asked me to do Rick and Morty instead. And, like, my life, my entire career is just good luck. It's like a, like a bunch of good lucks. And, like, a week later, I got an email from the Invader Zim editor. And they're like, hey, the editor on Rick and Morty wants to know if you'd like to do a few issues. And I was like, absolutely, because I fucking love Rick and Morty. So they asked me to do five issues, and I would draw one. That was sort of the caveat, because you get paid a lot more to draw things and write things. Um, and I was a cartoonist, so I want to draw things. Uh, they asked me to do five. The plan was they were going to do sort of uh, five issues with a creator, and then they'd rotate to another creator. And they would write for uh, CJ Cannon, who at the time was a series regular artist who was really, really sort of on model. Um, but after I did five, they're like, hey, do you want to do five more? And as, I, as I've heard it, after that, Justin Roiland said, let him do it until he doesn't want to do it anymore. And so I've now done more single issues of Rick and Morty than there are single episodes of the TV show. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, that, love, that sounds I, about right. I love Rick and Morty. And you know, the thing is, like, it's hard to believe, it's hard to imagine now, I think, especially for what a big thing it is. I did Rick and Morty, and it was 2016. I'm almost positive this is right, because I did, we did uh, New York Comic Con that year. Maybe 2015. I can't keep track of time. It would not have been, it would not have been, I was nominated last year. It would have been three years ago, so 2015. And uh, uh, we, so anyway, we went to San Diego Comic Con, and I, San Diego Comic Con 2015, I saw two groups that did cosplay as Rick and Morty, two of them, okay? And I thought, oh, it's so cool. Like, oh my God, it's Mr. Poopy Butter. It's like, it's so cool. Then I did a show in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I didn't sell anything. I did a sh- another show. Like, no one's buying Rick and Morty. Like, no one is buying it. It's like, man, I thought that, like, this show is so good. Why is anyone watching it? I love it so much. You think everyone would love it? And I told my wife, at this point, I've done, I was on seven, I was going, I'd written seven or eight, right? Cause you're so far ahead from where you are. And uh, I was like, man, it might've been a mistake. Like, I think the show, like, I don't think anyone's ever going to watch it. So the next show I did was in Lexington, Kentucky. And I sold out of everything Rick and Morty I had during the VIP time of the first day. The next show was Chicago with C2E2. So I took everything, all my comps, all the books, everything I had, I sold out in a day and a half. So, like, there was just a day, right, where it changed. And I can tell you what that day is. It's when they added it to Hulu. Like, I know what it was. Ah. But it's so wild to me that for a solid six, not, not six months, it's because it would have been June. No, it would have been, like, June to March. I, no one was buying it. No one, no one knew what it was. Um, so whenever someone says I was there at the beginning, like, good for you, because not very many people were. Not, I even wasn't there. Like, I didn't get into it until right after season one was over uh, because it looked so terrible to me, and now I draw that way at, for a living. <laughs> that's yeah, the style in which I draw things for a living. Yeah, I, I missed like the first two episodes, and then my buddy John, who I was, uh, I was working, it, I was working in a comic shop at the time, and John's like, "How are you not watching Rick and Morty?" I'm like, "I, oh, you know, I, it started, I missed it. I'll catch it." No, no, he's like, "Just, just watch the, watch the next one." I was like, "All right," and then I was like, "God," and he's like, "Yeah," because just keep your eye; they'll, they'll re-air those first two as well. I was like, "Yep," I, I was hooked right from then. Oh. It's unbelievably good. It's an unbelievably, unbelievably good show. Uh, yeah, the the, the the Szechuan sauce helped, you know, get it out into the public consciousness. And I, you know, I can tell you some Szechuan sauce stories too, because I was in New York when all that stuff was supposed to happen. I was in New York wow. Comic Con for the first time. Uh, throwback is when Assassination uh, got greenlit, right? Okay. My roommate uh, was. Don't mess this up. See, I'm so bad with everything, right? Uh, what's Sean's last name? Uh, Sean Dove. Sean Dove, who's super dope. He does the robots for Oni. So Sean Dove was my roommate because Oni, I was a guest of Oni at New York Comic Con. Sean Dove was my roommate. Sean Dove had, he's the one who designed those Szechuan sauce art. And they were going to do, McDonald's was going to do this huge sort of opening for, in uh, Times Square. Uh, that week is going to be that week. So he's already in New York. He can go there and promote. Like, it's all sort of planned. There's going to be this huge rollout of the Szechuan sauce, right? But then the shooting in Las Vegas happened. Oh. And McDonald's was like, well, we're just not going to do it. So the, one of those things is like, man, everyone dumps on how that whole thing was done. But as a result of, you know, a terrible event happening where a lot of people were congregating in one place and they were trying to avoid that. Yeah. Wow. wow. No, also, I, he, never, he, didn't, he didn't get to sell those posters. Like, he, got, he, he didn't get to make those Sweet, sweet Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce poster money. Oh. Now, I mean, you've, as you said, you've written quite a number of issues. 
And I loved how you kind of pulled it all together with that Rick Revenge Squad arc. Yeah, I was, try- I was trying to get that in before the show does it. Had you – so was that a plan you had sort of from the beginning that you were going to introduce no. these disparate – Okay, so no. But, you, like, because the thing is – so here's my thing with Rick and Morty, because I'm a, I'm a fan of Rick and I'm, – I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty, is that for me, the, the show has to – it has to be the same thing, right? Like, the comic desperately needs to be the show or else it feels not the same. But because of that, it limits – I don't want to use – I don't know where Squanchy is. You don't know where Squanchy is. I don't want to write Squanchy in a comic right now because I write him a comic and then it comes out next season, he's dead. Like that, it, it negates that story, right? Like that story is bullshit. Right? Are you with right. me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, it's like, well, I can do a Crumbopulous, I can do the life and times of Crumbopulous Michael because he's dead. I know he's dead. Guys, he's not coming back. He's dead. So <laughs> I can do that because I'm never going to affect anything. Um, but because of that, you have to, at some point, pretty quickly, it's like, well, we, I have to start making characters. Um, so I made, my original plan was to do uh, Peacock Jones, and his name was something different originally, because it was legit. I wanted to write Rick, Rick Sanchez versus Doctor Who. Um, but I really wanted to lean into how Doctor Who is sort of like a sex pervert. I uh, love so I, yeah. <laughs> that was the best. And a lot of the other characters just sort of came along. Now, I did write, uh, and I'm going to, again, I write these. Because the thing is, like, I should know, but it's like I wrote those books a year ago, right? Actually, I have one right in front of me. I can't, there's, a, there's a Spuds McKenzie intergalactic right. crime boss. Yep. He, I added sort of at the end, because I, I knew I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to do this revenge squad. So I needed sort of a catalyst. So I did, he was a character I added specifically to sort of have that whole uh, that whole thing. I did. I didn't know I was ever going to use that Meeseeks again. But in the moment, I was like, "Who could I use?" It all came together. I'm really proud of those two issues. I think LRB did such a good job drawing them. I think they're a lot of fun. Uh, Peacock Jones gets away. Uh, that's intentional. I'm leaving. Like Peacock Jones is going to be one of my foils. I think because uh, I, I just like that he's out there, even though he's absolutely no match for Rick Sanchez uh, in any capacity. Who is? <laughs> Well, there's characters. There's um, and look, I'm so bad. The Steve Carell character from the uh, miniverse. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to show, you would do Evil Morty and that character. Uh, you would do Phoenix Person. Like, there's all these characters that you could use to do that. But in fact, at the end of that book, I show a bunch of them. Abraham Linkletter isn't dead. He's still out there somewhere. Yeah. All these characters they could bring back as a revenge squad, and I hope they do. And I'm going to send them a. Uh, a bill. I'm just kidding. I probably won't. <laughs> They'll be like, they're nothing the same. Like your characters suck and ours are great. And you'll be like, well, that's fair. Um, but I just like, here's the like, thing. was like, is like how much longer at that point in time, I was like, am I going to get to do another 10 issues of this book? Like I have all these characters and I have this idea. So you kind of do it then. I hope to do another one down the line. I don't think I've introduced any more really good, super good characters since then. I'm looking over at my pile. Trying to I, have, I, I just did an I just did an inventory of all my Rick and Morty ish like how many things I had here so I have them like all out in front of me right now. Uh, but no, I'm real proud of that one. I think everything it's it's funny because I go through periods where it's like I know when I'm writing like I oh, yeah, this one's not as good because you always have to be better than the last one and that's for Rick and Morty it's already hard. When I started Rick and Morty, Chris Schweitzer again, America's best secret cartoonist and the artist on Mars Attacks was like, "Are you smart enough to do that book?" And look, you're not wrong. He's not. I was like, I hope I don't know. Probably not. Because it's like it's only two geniuses making it. It's only two geniuses and their handpicked writing staff making that show. 
it's like, no, it's fucking hard. But I was like, I always want to kind of like, I want to keep raising sort of the energy level and the sort of run we're on right now, which is like, um, uh, I did, um, uh, what did I do right after? Um, trying to, so dumb. I did the Vindicators one. Yes. They go, they go back to the Crown Populous planet. I did a Westworld that just came out. Like I have like four issues in a row. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I read them like the one that's about to come out is I, it's kind of like a twist in it, but I'm not going to, how many, there's a twist in it, but it starts off where like basically Morty's like, if, if the sand, if like the Smith family was like, leave it to Beaver and it's really weird, but it turns out it's all sort of like this cosmic realities dream. He's living cause he turned himself into a space baby. And it's like, I have like five issues where it's like, I'm, I'm really proud. And when we spread them all out, and I see him, and I'm like reminded, like, oh, I'm like, oh man, that Jerry, that Jerry issue is so good. Uh, te- you know, I'm really protective. Like I said, I'm super type A, but Teeny Howard did a really good job with Pocket Like You Stole It. And we were just goofing on Twitter doing like Rick, Rick and Morty vampire jokes. And I'm like, all right, like, just stop. We have to save all these. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mark Eller, like, they, they want the, the issues to always have these sort of like Rick pun names, you know? And we're like, what are we going to call it? And I, you know, there was like vampire, vampiric, vampiric diary. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but Mark, yes. Eller, Mark Ellerby is like, let the, let the, let the Rick one in. And we're like, oh, done. Like Mark <laughs> Ellerby, who's the best fucking artist on the series, also is coming up with the best titles. <laughs> the, oh, that was great. I loved Summer and the Emo Vampire Teens. That was that's, marvelous. And those are, those are entire, that's entirely Teeny Howard. Uh, I, when you have the benefit of having a female writer of her caliber, why would I write Beth R. Summer? It's just like she knows those characters better than I do. We did, uh, I did like a, a battle royal thing where Rick just turns himself into different things and then yells what they are because people love pickle Rick so much. I was yes. like, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give him the whole book of it. Here's Pizza Rick, Plumbus Rick, <laughs> and I'm real proud of those books. It's like every time I see them, I was like, man, these are really good. I think the last, I think the next five coming out. Uh, that I did are good. It's just like I, it's funny because it's like I when I do them, it's like I forget. It's like man, I did I I really enjoy all because I'm a fan. Like I really enjoy all these Rick and Morty stories I've told. I think they're really true to the show, and it's fun. Like right now, I'm looking. I'm like I'm looking at a, my how many did I have for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So fourteen, fifteen, like half of my run. It's been fun, man. I I love the show, and it's really uh, you know a gift that I get to play in their sandbox. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned being a big uh, community fan. Um, same. I think that's 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 mutual all the way around. Uh, yep. You know. Uh, okay, it's Christmas time. Which episode do you find yourself going back to more often? The claymation Abed one or the uh, the Glee parody where they replace the Glee club? I I think probably the Glee one. I the claymation was like deep enough in. It felt like. What season? Because that was the season. Wasn't the claymation the... Uh... That was season two. The, oh. Season two. Oh, yeah, 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 No, I think it's the Glee one. Yeah. It's the Glee one. Yeah. I need to, you know, I, I, it's, I'm far enough... When Community came out, I said, this is the best sitcom since Seinfeld, which is the highest compliment I can give anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's probably time to go and do a rewatch on Community. It's far enough... I'm far enough away. I don't really remember that much about it. Uh so it's probably time to do a rewatch on Community. It it, it ends. I, I did a rewatch. Man, I, I, never watched, yeah, like, I never watched the Yahoo season. I never watched it. Oh, the Yahoo season. Uh, it's 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 good. Uh, you know, I, I mean, everything's better than the gas leak year. 
Um, oh, so bad. Absolutely <laughs> so bad. I would say Community is the only show to end brilliantly twice. You know, because they set up the end of season three like, yeah, we're not coming back. And then they yeah. somehow managed to eke out, uh, you know, the, the six seasons of the six seasons in a movie promise. And then I actually, I think the last episode of the Yahoo season has the emotional impact that you want from a show like that ending. Uh, so you're going to talk me into it. Yeah, as of last year, I think, you could still find Yahoo uh, streaming and... Uh, oh, for sure, it's still out there. Yeah, yeah. it's still out there. Yeah. You know, when they did when, when they were just going into contract renewals for, the, for Rick and Morty, I thought for sure it was going to be renewed for two more seasons in a movie. I thought for sure it was. <laughs> no. <laughs> three, or it'd be three seasons. Three seasons in a movie. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought was going to happen. It's no, 70 episodes. It's never going away. <laughs> All of those people who got Rick tattoos very early on that I was like, that's not smart, have like proven me wrong. <sighs> what are you uh, What are you reading now, uh, comics or otherwise? Uh, I, you know what? I'm reading uh, a lot of basketball books. I started reading the first book of uh, the Expanse series, uh, Leviathan Wakes. It's pretty good. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, pop, like, I'm so – right now since I'm drawing again, I'm mm-hmm. not doing anything – all I'm doing right now is working, which means I can put something on in the background, mm-hmm. so it can't be very good. Like, I, I haven't seen, since I became a professional cartoonist, I've not seen anything that was a serious movie in any way, because I can't sit there and watch. I can't see facial reactions, um, so I've only seen, like, things that blow up and then things that don't matter. Um, <laughs> I watch, my wife and I have always been sports fans, but we got the NBA League Pass this year. I'm a big NBA guy. Mm-hmm. My first time having a League Pass, we've been watching a lot of basketball. Um, but in terms of pop culture, like pop culture that I just, I just uh, uh, digested that I really liked, um, I got uh, YouTube Prime. I don't know what it's called. YouTube Red. Red, I think. Yeah, Maybe. I got YouTube Red, whatever it's called, so I could watch Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai's fun. <laughs> I, I recommend it. But I also watched Wayne, which is by the guy who either wrote or directed or maybe both the first Deadpool movie. It was fucking incredible, and I loved it. Um, and in February, a show's coming out with Jordan Peele and the guy who did Black Mirror doing like an anthology series on YouTube. So oh, I was wow. like, I went and got a month subscription because mm-hmm. I definitely want to see that. Uh, Wayne was great. Wayne was one of the best. It felt very much, it's very much sort of how, it's the type of story that I would like to tell um, or that I do tell. It's a tough guy who's trying to do something that has greater emotional meaning to him and he gets beat up a lot and there's guys who fight and there's bad guys and good guys. Um, Wayne was really good, man. I, I recommend it a lot. Comic wise, uh, I can't think of what the last thing. Um, I, I just can't think of the last thing because there's so much good stuff out there. But I, I generally, I sort of reach a point where it's like now I'm going to catch up on everything. It's usually after a show. Mm-hmm. So like in Emerald City, when I see all my friends and I go, oh yeah, I haven't read this, I haven't read that. No, I uh, know I read a comic that was great recently, and I can't. I feel so bad because I can't think of what it is. It's Mars Attacks, guys. <laughs> Mars Attacks is the best <laughs> book I've read lately. Um, as as a, a basketball person, do you go with the Pacers? Do you go with the home Absolutely team? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm a, I'm a, I am, it's, it's, com- my, my fandom is complicated. I've always been okay. a Knicks fan because I started liking basketball in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I started liking basketball is because there was someone who had the same last name as me. 
And it's not like I have a common last name. I'd never heard of anyone having the same last name, which also probably shows you how great my ego is. It's like, oh, I should check out this person. Um, but I, I'm a huge, John Starks is probably my favorite player still to date. That guy was a one-time all-star and a one-time sixth man of the year. Uh, but I love him. I love the Knicks. The Knicks have been literally a garbage dumpster fire for 20 years. And, <laughs> and I have rolled with it until last year. Um, from Indiana, you know, my wife, my wife was an IU fan and I was a UK fan. Those things don't go together. So we started watching Butler. This was, uh, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Thad Matta, who's now, who was the coach at Ohio State at one point in time, they did very well. Brad Stevens took over. Brad Stevens has been the best thing that happened to me in ba- my basketball life in the last 20 years. Uh, he got me to two, two March Madness championships. Um, my grandfather, who's the only person in my family who liked basketball for me, was a Celtics fan, which is to be expected of anyone of a certain age in Indiana. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> I, always felt a little bit, I always felt a little bit bad that I wasn't a Celtics fan. But I've always my thing is my thing is with the Knicks has always been, what does it matter if they suck? Like it's not like you're I'm married to them. Like it's not like I have a friend who sucks. I'm going to keep them around for 20 years. It's just a, like it's sports team. They can suck. It doesn't affect my life. Um, that being said, we've been watching almost entirely. Like we watch every Celtics game. Uh, it's been fucking great. Get it, my wife is all in on NBA now, uh, so I don't have to watch college games anymore. We just watch NBA a lot. It's brought me an immense amount of joy. Next year. Pro tip, mm-hmm. uh, get the package that doesn't have commercials so you can watch the in-game like kiss cam and the halftime dances. Because if if you watch it on NBA Roku, every now and then you get like five minutes of that, and it's the best. It's better than the game. <laughs> the, the fucking kiss cam is better than the game, guys. Um, all right. Let's say you walk into a well-stocked arcade that has the original NBA Jam. Who do you play okay. as? Uh, well, so here's the thing. So the original NBA Jam isn't as good as the second version of NBA Jam. So like NBA Jam, the second version of NBA Jam, you can play like uh, Peyton Kemp, right? Okay. I feel like Peyton Kemp's pretty good, though. Oftentimes, I think that's also Starks Ewing. If Starks Ewing's on there, I'm playing Starks Ewing. Yeah. If Starks Ewing's not on there, it's probably Peyton Kemp because that's a that's a, the perfect combo. That's the perfect combo. Now. I've been playing NBA Jam at my local barcade. It's the first I my pupils. So the, this first version uh, uh, has um, like um, there's no Michael Jordan on there. Jordan mm-hmm. Pippen's a good one too, but I, you're not going to get it. It's always Pippen and Horace Grant or Pippen and Paxson. It's always bad. Um, when we play, I always go Charlotte because uh, Charlotte. What's this guy's name? Charlotte is. Um, uh, it's a. Uh, it's Big Baby and it's Kendall Gill. And Kendall Gill is probably the most balanced non-Scotty Pippen player. So we've been going that. But I'd also say, depending on your defensive acumen, mm-hmm. uh, Stockton Malone's great. Stockton Malone's really good. I've been playing it a lot, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm the number three player in my area right now. Uh, I got rolled by – I'm trying to – There's an int- so, so the first version, the Dallas Mavericks, didn't have any good players. So the second person on the team, I'm a big NBA fan. I've been an NBA fan since 90s. We're, we're, you play through the game, right? Uh-huh. And when Dallas comes up, it's like Derek Harper and a guy I 1,000% have never heard of in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, how is this even possible? It was their second round draft pick that year. He only played like four years in the league. He was a second round draft. His name was like Mike Iuzzarelli. 
and he <laughs> fucking sucks. And he's in NBA Jam, and it's fucking hilarious to me that someone was like, hey, Dallas, who are you going to put in this game? And they're like, we only got one guy. Is there any way we can go, like, can we go one-on-two against anybody? We only have Derek. That's all we have. Uh, I've been doing Charlotte a lot. I, I think Charlotte's, Charlotte's a good one just because uh, Larry Johnson can shoot threes, mm-hmm. and he dunks like crazy. This seems like a weird segment, uh, but I'm into it. I can play – I love almost any of them. I can't go small. People like to go Golden State. They like to go Hardaway Mullen, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get those sweet blocks like you want. You need one guy who's going to be able to, to block those shots. It's important. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Um, Azer, I don't know, man. He's so like a second round draft pick. That's wild <laughs> to me. Mike Uzaluni. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect name for basketball. Mike Uzaluni. Second round draft pick. They couldn't even get their first round draft pick to play in NBA Jam somehow. <laughs> And I think, you know, here's the real shame of it. Here's the real shame, basketball heads. I think Fat Lever was on that team. I think Lafayette Lever was on that team. And that dude is a fucking gem. In statistical basketball history, he's a gem. This is, no one cares about this. <laughs> I, I love basketball. The book I'm doing right now, the book I'm doing right now, which I'm going to kickstart later in the year, is called Old Head. And it's basically uh, Dr. J versus Dracula. Sold. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, when I say Dr. J, it's more like Rashid Wallace. But I have to keep it broad for the for the normies. Sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, Kyle, uh, it's been awesome. It's been it's been an hour. Uh, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? I, I'd love to be followed. I am basically the Kyle Starks on everything, which is one word, uh, which is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'm. Fairly active on Twitter. I have a Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com, what backslash, I think just Kyle Starks, not the. Uh, that's always fun. We do a lot of goog hangs. Uh, we talk shop, uh, do commissions and whatnot. But yeah, I'm the Kyle Starks pretty much everywhere. Boy, oh boy. And I'm also at every, literally every convention this year. If there's a convention in March, I'm at it. So Emerald City then? <laughs> I'll be at Emerald City. The next week is Chicago, C2E2. Mm-hmm. The week before both of those, I'm in South Carolina. I'm at every show in March. Like you might not even see me. Like where is he at? He's kidding. He's not in. Uh, he's not in Fort Lauderdale this week. I'm there. I'm just. I'm probably on break. I'm probably on break. If you can't see me, just that moment. Only in March. Only in March. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and $2 gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA.